0: Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Welcome to Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. I'm your host Leonard DiLorenzo. We need more leaders in the church. In fact, We need the best leadership for the church. But where will these leaders be found? And how will we prepare them for giving a credible witness to the gospel? These kinds of questions are not foreign to Elise Italiano, who serves as executive director of the Given Institute. We talk with her today about leadership in the church and the mission of her institute, which is dedicated to activating the gifts of young women for the church and for the world. Elise, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So as I mentioned in the intro, you serve as the executive director of the Given Institute, which is dedicated to activating the gifts of young women for the church and for the world. I was wondering if you could let us know a little bit about the inspiration for the founding of the Given Institute and, you know, how do you understand its core mission?
1: That's a great question. Thanks for asking. Um, you know, Given, the Institute was incorporated in February of 2018 uh, as an independent organization, but it, it was really born from um, what then was thought to be a singular event that the Council of Major Superiors of Women Religious Uh ran in June of 2016. So for those who don't know what CMSWR is, it's a governing body of the superiors of many religious communities, uh, uh, women religious communities around the United States. And they had an idea for, you know, kind of a simple principle that the church should be investing in its young people and particularly investing in the gifts of young women. And the general principle is traditionally women's gifts in the church have been used in three sort of key, critical leadership ways. The first is as religious sisters, um, which we know, mm-hmm. you know, many people know that the impact they've had uh, throughout the Church in the United States, particularly in catechesis and the provision of social services. The second is lay ecclesial ministers. You know, I think it's no secret that women are often the backbone of parish life, diocesan life, Catholic schools, and healthcare programs. Right. Um, and then the third is women's key role in the home as you know, motherhood and, and, you know, the the call to marriage is not often or or being a wife is not often couched as a leadership position. But when you think about the responsibility of forming eternal souls and, you know, forming the next civilization, that's kind of a critical role. And so the sisters really wanted to invest in those women, particularly to carry on that
0: legacy. I love the way you put that, like the formation of the next generation, which is obviously a leadership role. Let me ask about this, because you sort of delineated for us these three at least general realms for promoting leadership among young people and especially young women. I imagine there's, you know, a lot of diversity of images or ideas about what we mean by leadership in the church, right? So some might kind of reflexively tie the idea of leadership explicitly with priests and bishops, while others may have like such a broad understanding of leadership that everything is leadership and therefore maybe nothing is really leadership. So... how do you, maybe you personally, or how does the Institute, if you'd like to speak in that way, conceive of leadership in the church? I know that's a broad question, but it seems yeah, maybe a, an important question.
1: That's a great question and one that I think we don't often pick apart. So the opportunity to examine our lexicon, what we mean by certain terms, I think is important. And mm-hmm. this is not to say uh, the body of Christ will agree on these. I guess I'll speak first from my particular personal point of view, and then I can move and pivot to given understanding of that. And you know, I I think about leadership, you know, if someone, if someone is a leader, they're acting or communicating or managing or living in a way that inspires others to excellence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and Christian leaders should be inspiring other people, you know, to live excellently like Christ in whatever capacity their flock uh, needs to be. So that's sort of personally there. And so I think that kind of covers a host of things. Visity given, there's probably a similar overlap there. But the when we were launching this organization, we were kind of wondering if there was space for us in the Church, because oftentimes, you know, conversations, as you said, around women's leadership are, I guess, in my experience, the starting point is always a question of ordination, mm-hmm. and kind of either acceptance of the church's teaching on the relationship between ordination and paternity and fatherhood, of an inability or a frustration with that to accept, or a frustration with that. Um, in that, for you know, many strategic decisions are tied. Um, or strategic leadership roles, um, historically have been tied to those who have, who have been ordained. And I think given is coming around at a moment where there's a, a critical conversation happening actually amongst church leaders. Um, unfortunately, it took the sexual abuse crisis or this last iteration to prompt this question. But the, the key question is: you know, what roles in the church that have administrative or strategic decision-making, what are essentially tied? You know, where is ordination essential? Where is it preferred? And where is it non-essential? Mm-hmm. And I think the space that Given wants to operate is: once, once the church is working through that, or if Given can help um, those conversations, where is it then that lay and religious women can support the church? you know, in those roles or where where can women kind of um, be helpful in collaborating
0: with their brothers? Just to go back for a moment to your your own sort of personal response to that before you talked about kind of the mission of given in response to leadership. You know, you said the acting or communicating or living in a way that inspires others to excellence, which I really I really am fond of that. I appreciate the way you're articulating that. It calls to my mind kind of a, a necessary witness value. At least to my ears the way that that you were speaking about that leadership is very much tied to providing a witness to others that empowers that inspires that presents a way. How do you see well for I don't I don't want to say that you would accept that but like how would you perhaps see that style of leadership as tied to A spiritual formation, a life of prayer. Therefore, you know, if you're witnessing to something or inspiring others on behalf of the gospel, you're first steeped in it. It's it's authentic, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you got to be credible. (laughs) You got to talk to talk, and if you're talking to talk, you have to walk the walk. You know, I heard a talk by um, a Nashville Dominican sister who's um, a scholar of you know Christian spirituality and also sort of women's issues, if you will, in the church. And she she said, you know, in times of crisis, many people refer to The witness of, or the the sort of hagiography of Saint Catherine of Siena, you know, marching marching to the Pope and saying, "Get back to Rome," Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, kind of this boldness and zeal that we talk about. Here's a woman who. You know, was able to kind of correct a church leader, obviously the church leader, the pope. And right. she said, you know what? The reason she did that is not, you know, she she had that effect is not because she's a woman and not because she kind of was grasping at power or, you know, putting him in his place, but she had the moral authority to command him, you know, to command respect from him and to, and to listen. And because she was fully a credible witness, she's holy, right? She's praying, she's mm-hmm. steeped in the love of Christ and the witness. It's that witness, the moral authority that allowed her to well I mean she didn't see the end of this but at least to prompt um, the change in the holy Father and as so as you said it's, it's the the lived witness um, that will be key as leaders and again it took it took sort of the absence of that we've seen what what that looks like when you know our church leaders have held you know positions where they have a lot of authority and responsibility um, they need help in in ensuring that that witness is consistent
0: hmm. you know I'm just gonna kind of go with this, the introduction of St. Catherine of Siena there. I happen to be reading one of her biographies right now uh, by Sigrid Unset. And what I read last night, I think, speaks to what you're pointing to or what this Nashville Dominican was pointing to. It's not yet to her point, you know, to Catherine's role in kind of marching around Europe and reforming the church in a very big way. It had to do with a small enclosed room where she had taken on the responsibility of caring for an elderly woman with breast cancer whose body was really kind of deteriorating, and it was nauseous, right? And so Catherine was repulsed by that physically. And because she was repulsed by it, she actually went closer to it to become accustomed to this woman's own suffering, and in fact, the smell. And it it seemed like this witness that you're talking about, it was worked out in this really hard work of her personal enfleshed service to this woman who was suffering, which was born out of her life of prayer. And so when somebody walks into a room with the Pope, as was her case, um, all of that credibility that, that you were pointing to, all of that credibility and moral authority had been worked out in that hard and really kind of personal space of really following through on Christ's love in this particular place with this particular person. So how much might we think about is our leadership founded in those closed spaces where nobody sees in that life of prayer, in those works of mercy, in a dedication to the life of the gospel?
1: You know, I, I'm really glad you brought that up. First of all, that biography is one of my all time favorites. I think it's I leafed through it so many times and referred to it. Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's increasingly difficult in our current culture, particularly with like a tech overload and a lot of virtue signaling, um, even amongst Catholics, to demonstrate where they are. You know, trying to be credible and kind of Catherine's witnesses. The credibility that's hidden. You know, credibility comes from the hidden works of mercy um, and the love of God that often no no people see. And so, I can say that um, you know, at that first given forum um, where the sisters, um, the religious sisters, got together, it was their witness that really inspired the young women. And when I was launching this organization earlier this spring. Um, With our board, it was in the midst of this crisis and many people said, you know, how can you launch an organization when the church's credibility is at its weakest? And I said, one look at the roster of women who spoke at that 2016 given forum, and you'd see like where the church's credibility is the strongest. You know, mm-hmm. we have the sisters, the sisters of life, who um, you know minister to women who are in crisis pregnancies and their children. You know, I've had the pleasure of staying at one of their you know um, homes. I've seen this outreach up close. Um, we have Sister Norma Pimentel, who is um, working at Catholic Charities at the border. You know, who's going to say that her credibility is in? question right she's, yeah. she's living she's you know putting putting uh, flesh on the gospel
0: and there's real um, and cost many, many, to it right like she she actually exactly, bears some of the cost of it
1: exactly yeah. in her flesh and and then many lay, lay women and of course there are holy priests who do things that are go unseen but absolutely i think you know the formation of young people to know that leadership is not necessarily seen, I and mean, this is very countercultural, but it's also very Christian. I mean, how many things did, did the Lord do that we don't know because they weren't recorded, um, mm-hmm. or how many things did He do in in somebody's home? How many miracles was He working, not in not you know for show um, or or seen by a lot of folks, but they mattered, you know? Um, and so, absolutely, I, I would agree with your um, assessment of Saint Catherine's power, especially mm-hmm. her hiddenness. Mm-hmm.
0: You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. We're talking with Elise Italiano, Executive Director of the Given Institute, a nonprofit organization dedicated to activating the gifts of young women for the church and for the world. Why do you think we have to invest in the leadership development of young women right now? You were touching on some of this, right, you know, just a moment ago in terms of the kind of pushback that this seems like the worst time. And you're saying, no, this might seem like the best time. Why? Why right now, especially for the church?
1: Sure, Uh, it's a great question. Um, And first and foremost, it's always the right time to invest in young people's (laughs) holiness. Um, It's always the right time to be trying to help people become saints. You know, I'd say in terms of young people also, um, you know, the Synod sort of peripherally addressed this, but, you know, in, in some writing I did before the Synod, I really encouraged an investment in young people because they're searching for identity, for community, and for purpose. A lot of young adults find themselves now for about a decade between college graduation and like a professional commitment or a vocational commitment, Christian Smith, who's your colleague at the university of Notre Dame writes, write so much about this. And so if the church can't accompany young people to help them in their search for identity, community, and purpose, I'm not sure who will, Uh, although actually there are plenty of people kind of willing and at the ready. But particularly the investment in young women, you know, I I mentioned three things at the start of the show, the fact that women have been um, traditionally making up the bulk of lay ecclesial ministers in the church, religious sisters, um, and what they have provided, and then mothers. But the church is going to, there's sort of three distinct but converging phenomena with all of these groups that the church, I don't think um, you know, institutionally has been paying attention to, but they're about to converge in a really important way. So, eighty-five percent. Well, excuse me, eighty. There was a Kara study in two thousand fifteen, um, in which it was revealed that about eighty percent of lay ecclesial ministers are women, mm-hmm. um, but their me- their median age then was fifty-five. And as young adults, young adults and millennials are, you know. Leaving the church and institutional religion, they're disaffiliating at a rapid rate, particularly women. That replacement is not necessarily guaranteed. Uh, very likely will will be diminished. Um, we know that religious sisters have had, you know, their congregations, by and large, with the exception of a few, have had some, um, you know, they've been on a steady decline since their peak in 1965. So, you know, every young Catholic boy at some point is likely asked, you know, to consider a vocation to the priesthood, but how many young women encounter a religious sister um, or see their lives or are asked that question? So that's something that the Church really could uh, turn around. And the third, as I said, is, you know, women, traditionally, the Church has really revered the role of a woman in the home and the, and the value that that vocation has and yet young people are in in large droves especially you know including Catholics delaying or foregoing marriage and so many women find themselves in the decades of the 20s or 30s you know kind of single by default if you will and so kind of unclear about their vocation but their gifts really could be utilized for the church and so you know the given Institute is hoping to be a part of the church's kind of wake-up call if you will that we're going to have a woman problem and Is not really the one that we think, you know, or traditionally talked about. We, We need to make this investment now if we intend sort of the legacy. You know, to continue the legacy that women have had in the life and mission of the church.
0: It seems somewhat, you know, potentially uh, dangerous if I could say that to talk about the home when talking about leadership, and if we want to say, you know, in quotes, the role of women, because there could be a lot of pushback on that. But perhaps we should also think about the home as the place for men also, right? So I'm wondering how much of what you're talking about, especially in that third part, has to do with the need to renew the vision of the home as a heart of the Christian life.
1: I think it's essential. I'm of the generation that still, you know, John Paul II wasn't a historical figure to me. You know, right. I, I grew up and, you know, his um, his writings on the home, you know, being that domestic church are so important. And yet, I think my generation also experienced a lack of credibility. You know, Catholics, Divorced at the same type of rate as the general population, and so while the church was, you know, promoting this wonderful thing—the value of that home and family life, and and the stability it provided, and the and sort of the very human formation it provided, of fulfillment for people—it was falling apart for many people. And so there was a there's a dissonance between um, the reality, it's sort of on the ground, and the theology that was there for many people. Of course, not all. Mm -hmm. And so recovering you know not just kind of continuing to spew and and sort of share um you know ad hominem this um you know length theology about that but you know the church has to get get real in its practice of forming young people and showing them um, what family life could be like because it you know, maybe by the examples of others in their parish communities or other models, because many of them didn't have it. And so we have to recover um, generally that notion in order to move forward.
0: Hmm. You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. We're talking with Elisa Italiano, executive director of the Given Institute, a nonprofit organization dedicated to activating the gifts of young women for the church and the world. I love where you just ended there, that the church needs to get serious about kind of forming people for the home, for leadership in the home, for marriage and parenting, that the theology, as you were pointing to, is there and has been there, but maybe the credibility of the witness and the investment of resources in forming people for that have lagged behind. What do you think, you know, I, I don't expect you to give us like a full prescription of what we ought to do here, but what do you think might be important in terms of how to form young people for leadership in the home, for investing in marriage and family life?
1: It's a great question. There's sort of a a bubbling up of a theme. Um, You know, I have a friend who works in young adult ministry. Well, I have several friends who work in young adult <laughs> ministry um, or, or other, you know, kind of inofficial Catholic structures. Mm-hmm. And I would say our generation is very much paying attention to this concept of mentoring. And mm-hmm. I know this takes place um, at the Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and other areas, that there needs to be an intentional pairing up of couples with couples, families with families, um, you know, given as attempting to create a, a, a national network of women uh, from a variety of locations and walks of life to sort of walk alongside and accompany through, you know, a year long program, um, a young adult. And so I think young people, you know, many young people, again, many Catholics had had those witnesses in the home, but it can't hurt to be kind of intentionally paired up with someone else living that vocation and kind of just talking about the realities of it. You know the home is one area, just for instance. we We have um, lay women who uh, do a lot of work in either communications, public relations business, some lay women uh, working for the church. Some of them are single, religious, or have families. And I think young people want to hear, you know how do you how do you integrate all of these commitments, right? How do you integrate your professional kind of calling or responsibilities with your responsibilities either to your religious community? Or to your family, and I just think if we talked more, um, kind of intentionally, about how it's done and not just why it's done, I think we'd have a lot of success. And I think young people are hungry for mentors. This was kind of a theme that just kept going, coming up in that pre-senate document written by young people. They say we want witnesses and we want credible witnesses to help us.
0: And sometimes those credible witnesses are saying, "Well, here are the real limitations, the drawbacks, the things that <laughs> you know, the prioritization that requires sacrifice, one way or the other, because." perhaps there's oftentimes the ideal that all of these very many things can be conducted and can be integrated, but usually, you know, as we find, as we move into adult life, right, like, we find that the key to integration is usually prioritization. Right. And so and putting say, the first things first. You know. <laughs> exactly,
1: and I, I think we do well by young people to, you know, I, and again, my generation was kind of told, you can do it all, you can be anything you want to be, um, nothing is stopping you, and I think that was a, you know, in, in some ways very inspiring and motivating. But as we move into adulthood, as you said, having people say, you know, and when you say yes to things, you also have to deny yourself things or, um, you know, burnout is a real thing. So here's how you prioritize. um, Here's how you know sort of where your first duties are. So absolutely, I would agree with you. Yeah.
0: In terms of you yourself personally, if I might ask, what has been important for you for the development of your own leadership in and for the church in kind of who you've become and what you're hoping to do.
1: As a leader, I don't love talking about I know you I'm don't. But... Sure. So my path was kind of, you know, interesting. I I would say mentorship played a critical role. Mm. When I was in my 20s, I had the great blessing of teaching theology and Catholic bioethics at an all-girls high school. Mm. Um, getting to kind of live out a maternal vocation while I was also single was really wonderful and transformative for me. Um, But at that time, some of the mothers of my students happened to be women who were advising the Pope on issues of family, family life, family law. um, Oh, sure. Another (laughs) mother, just just a regular run of the mill, and and another mother who who worked in communications for the Bishop's Conference. And um, those women really served as mentors. They identified my gifts that I was currently using in the classroom. They said, opened up pathways to say, you know, if you ever feel the Lord calling you elsewhere, the church can use, you know, more, more, um, you know, lay people in communications and supporting bishops and Catholic organizations. And they um, kind of did training for me, helped me with training off the cuff, kind of in an unconventional way. And I wound up, you know, pursuing a professional vocation, uh, or I guess, pursuing a vocation, is that right? But answering, responding to a vocational call to work in church communications. And it Mm -hmm. was through the mentoring and kind of dedicated support I had um, that I was able to support a bishop and then a university president in in, um, public relations and communications, kind of get a taste for the church I had been teaching about. I was able to kind of witness up close how how a church functions at all levels and and um, really be, be in a supportive role. and so mentoring um, and also just the real the real witness of what do women face? what are the practical realities that they face that are distinct from from some realities that men who are members of the clergy might face when they're serving the church or laymen? Um, and it was really you know that mentoring was was key. and of course, the uh, recommendation is as you've pointed out, to stay close to the Lord that, you know, when you work for the church, sometimes you the first thing to go it can be your prayer life, just because right. you feel like your time is spent, you know, it's kind of you're cashing in, cashing in your God stuff. Um, huh. So en- encouraging me to, to stay close to the Lord in prayer um, and to live the faith outside of, you know, the cubicle is important.
0: <laughs> live the faith outside the cubicle. That is an <laughs> Thank you for that. So, you know, you were pointing to the mentorship and, um, Sort of the credibility of witness of others, but you also you know mentioned some of that in regards to the recent meeting of the synod of bishops, which just took place last month uh, in Rome. The theme of the bishop seems of the bishops uh, synod seems very close to the mission of the given institute, young people, the faith and vocational discernment. I was wondering, you know, from your perspective, what did you see or hear? that you think was really promising about what was discussed or how things were discussed uh, leading up to or throughout that meeting? Or maybe on the flip side, like how might you like to see things thought about differently than how they were thought about or discussed?
1: It's a great question. I mean, in cities, uh, I, I try to follow along as best I could, right, and right. I'm still w- waiting for some documents to be translated, which right. you just kind of get you you kind of get used to when you work um, <laughs> <laughs> in church communications. But you know, I'd start with a positive. Um, you know, there were many, many bishops who, um, either in their interventions or uh, seemingly in you know, kind of post you know evening evening conversations, mm-hmm. were really open with young people really open to uh, hearing what their day-to-day realities were, how how the struggles they have with remaining, you know in the church or the questions that they have. I thought the openness and kind of the willingness to be surprised was a great thing. Um, so that that was really, really wonderful. You know, coming out at the synod, I, you know, in full disclosure, I was I, you know, I really hope that the conversations can become concrete. So there are a whole host of, you know, on the one hand there, the church's documents were very much concerned with kind of two camps. Well, well, one is like those who have left um, or who are, you know, we need to kind of help move beyond just hanging on, but really integrate them. And on the other hand, there were a lot of conversations about, you know, um, young Catholics who are already very engaged and very intentional about their faith, but there's a whole host of people in between mm-hmm. that um, I would hope that the church doesn't forget. You know, they were baptized, but maybe not catechized. They may be coming back to church when they're raising their children, and I'd really like to see a church that, um, on the parish level or in a community level, that that can really greet them um, or, or encourage them to come back. And so it's that middle group that we're hoping—I I really sincerely hope We'll we'll experience some fruits from this in it, um, and then in terms, you know, I, I again I haven't seen the document. Sure. It seems that there are re- references to um, you know integrating more women in leadership positions. Um, and again, I'd love the conversation not to sort of have that sort of standard starting point as a question about ordination, but I'd like to pivot to, you know, what, what would it take to recruit women, Catholic women, to work for the church, um, to, to join as chancellors superintendent, or superintendents um, or, you know, just work in a diocese or in a school in a parish? And I'd like the church to think about, um, you know, it, it, it would probably takes some self-examination to say, what are the obstacles? to attracting and retaining women um, in the service of the church, and by and large, it's going to be you know family leave, um, mm-hmm. childcare, um, you know, pay that's a livable wage um, and, and commensurate with male counterparts. So I'd like the church to, to marry um, her reverence for women, and you know, John Paul II's great call to say, you know, women get in that economy. We need we need you. And I'd like the church to kind of, if possible, you know, get creative in removing the obstacles for that to happen. Because I, I do think there still remains a remnant of women who want to answer that call and then to give their gifts. And I'd love the church kind of make it easier for them to do that.
0: Yeah, if we want excellence in leadership, we have to bring our A game, in other words, like you yeah. said. Yep. You no, know, I mean, we have to face, you know, what are the real needs? And some of that will have to do with compensation. Some of it will have to do with opportunity. Others will have to do with different kinds of support. If we want the best leaders, we have to provide the best that we can provide as a church. So uh, it certainly seems that uh, you're taking all of those things that you're hoping for very seriously and putting them into practice, um, especially through the work of of the Given Institute. Where can people find out more about the Given Institute online?
1: Thank you. Yes, we have um, a website giveninstitute.com. dot com. Um, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, um, pretty much every, LinkedIn, everything minus Snapchat. Just okay. in so far as I have I haven't figured out that as an evangelical tool, but they're all at <laughs> at, at given institute. Um, you can find us online, and you can sign up for newsletters for more for more information or news and and ways that you can get involved.
0: Very good. Well, thank you for that, and thank you for this conversation, Elise. It's been great uh, having you on our show today.
1: Thanks for your questions and for the opportunity to talk.
0: You're welcome, and thanks to all of you out there for listening with us today on Church Life Today.